Welcome to the second episode of the fourth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to one of our members, an awesome woman in CX insights and research. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She's lived all over the world, having started out in research with GFK in London and going on to specialise in CX, designing products and services in Hong Kong for Cathay Pacific, all based on solid customer insights. She then held a number of agency-side senior roles in Australia before settling in Saudi Arabia and co-founding her own consulting company, Foresight CX, all whilst raising two beautiful boys. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Liz Burks. Hi, Liz. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Well, welcome. It's so awesome to have you with us and welcome to everybody listening at home as well. So today we're going to have a chat about customer understanding and Liz, just so the audience can get to know you a little better, can you tell us how you found your way to where you are today? Okay, well, uh, I mean, I've spent most of my career on the customer insights side of customer experience. Um, So I actually... I started my official career, shall we say, um, sort of a year or so out of university, and I joined a market research company in London. Um, And from, and it was actually quite a fluke getting into that. It was one of those sort of jobs where it was a graduate scheme. I wasn't entirely sure what market research was at the time, but I saw a job advert and it said it needed certain skills, and I thought, I can do those. Um, so yeah, joined, started uh, my market research career then and started actually an employee experience and employee engagement programs and, and did a lot of that. Um, and then I had just had this desire that I wanted to travel the world. Um, so through help of my employer, I actually ended up getting a job in Hong Kong. Uh, And I moved over to Hong Kong and I moved to working with the sort of boutique agency there. Um, And that's when I sort of started to focus more on the customer side, doing a lot of uh, customer research. Um, I ended up working, my main client was Cafe Pacific and I ended up working for them. Um, And my role was all around premium cabins and sort of designing what would the experience be like for passengers in the premium cabins. So from the seats to the food, to the ambiance, to the service, you know, what what was it that we wanted to deliver? So that was an amazing experience. And then my itchy feet were on again and I decided, right, I'm going to move to Australia. Um, So I moved to Sydney. And in Sydney, I was lucky enough um, to get into a whole new area of uh, sort of customer insights on the customer experience side uh, called Insight Communities. Um, So I worked for two companies there that like specialize in insight communities. And it's all about 
embedding customer feedback within a business and really bringing that voice of the customer into decision making. And I fell in love with that idea there. Um, and I, I really fell into the whole idea of sort of customer experience management and that it's it's more than just the insights that I was taking. It's how do you build that into a strategy? How does that then, um, how do you design products and services that then, then meet needs? Um, but, you know, Itchy feet again. I decided this time Singapore. Uh, so moved from Sydney to Singapore, um, and again, still sort of stayed in that customer experience and customer uh, insight community space. Before finding myself in Saudi Arabia two years ago, um, so having spent the last two years in Saudi, and really the most amazing opportunity here to consolidate everything that I've been learning over the last sort of 18 years um, in terms of how do you bring the voice of customer um, and we might come on to this in a bit the difference between a voice of customer program and the voice of the customer um, into a business and start building your decision making around your customers and getting deep understanding of who your customers are. Yeah and are you in your own agency? I do neglected to mention that part. Um, <laughs> I, I just amazing uh, had the opportunity here to co-found um, a customer experience consultancy. Um, so being able to bring, you know, all of the experience that I've had uh, sort of globally uh, and bring it to the market here um, and start advising on, you know, best ways of speaking with customers, understanding your customers, building customer programs, um, and building that into a bit of a sort of customer experience management structure. Nice. And um, it's such an interesting country to be doing customer experience in right now, um, because there's a big push around citizen experience over there, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, Saudi Arabia isn't anywhere that I had expected to end up working, um, but it, I love working here. Um, it's really great. There's a real sort of energy um, to things at the moment and a real a sort of drive, particularly around customer experience. And it's coming from a few different areas. And one, exactly what you just mentioned, this idea of improving the citizen experience. Um, and that's not necessarily just the idea of improving the services that citizens receive, although that is important. It's also around um, creating more experiences for citizens. So there's these you know, huge development projects happening here um, that are bringing new kind of entertainment or events, um, the likes of which just haven't existed. Um, there was just recently before Christmas, this incredible music event held in the middle of the desert um, where sort of international artists came and, and the setup was amazing. I mean, the stages that they built and, and the, the whole um, arrangement of it was, was really quite incredible. Um, and, but the most amazing part was that that hasn't existed for such a long time. And so to be with a lot of the, the Saudi youth who are coming along and just, they were so excited. Um, and it's just, it's this sort of energy that I'm really loving working alongside at the moment. So yeah, really ambitious um, and big, but exciting um, and, and a great time to, to be able to sort of 
help influence it and help bring the voice of the citizen to to some of these projects. And being the Women in CX podcast, I couldn't fail to mention the uh, the changes that have happened for women in Saudi Arabia because I guess until very relatively recently women wouldn't have been involved, would they, in those kinds of experiences um, or attending those venues? Yeah, what you're seeing now is um, a a, a big drive for both sort of um, entertainment happening with everyone. Um, And also just, you know, in the the workplace, I've been lucky enough to be interviewing um, quite a lot of people recently and was just blown away by the sort of um, the passion and the ambition um, by a lot of uh, female Saudis that I was interviewing sort of fresh or two or three years out of university um, who have this real sort of drive to get involved and, um, you know, have an impact on on the future Mm -hmm. of their company, uh, country. Yeah, like I can't, I can't, I can only imagine. But thinking about like the difference b- before, like women had the vote maybe in the UK, to the change that happened in the next generation of women coming through. I suppose that's probably what you're seeing something similar to now. The first generation of women who have the equal rights to be able to do these things. That must be really exciting in the work environment as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yes, you just mentioned the difference between a voice of the customer program and the true meaning of customer voice. Do you want to elaborate on that a little? Sure. Cause I mean, this is very much one of my passion areas um, and it, it does tie into this customer understanding part. So um, the difference between say the voice of the customer by which we mean just giving your customer a voice, trying to get who they are, what they want, what they need, and what their experience is with a company into the management process. So the decision-making process, the product design, the service design. Um, And that's very much on the sort of, you need to understand who your customers are, you know, who the different groups of customers are. What are they trying to achieve when they're interacting with you? Um, what's going on in their wider life? Who else are they interacting with? What are some of their unmet needs that you that as businesses you can start to innovate off? Um, and that is versus, say, a voice of customer program which are, I'm still a big fan of voice of customer programs, but a voice of customer program is essentially a sort of um, a research program that looks to measure the experience that a customer has with you at any given point um, and make improvements based on that. So it tends to be more quantitative uh, in style and it tends to be very fixed. You might just be asking a single question of, you know, how likely would you, based on your recent experience, how likely would you be to recommend this company to your friends or family? Um, and so it's great for identifying specific issues or problem areas or, you know, for those metrics that help you build a case for things that you might need to improve. But it's never going to get to that sort of granularity of who your customers are and how you can better serve them. Yeah, and there seems to be a bit of an obsession with voice of customer programs, as in things like net promoter scores, being the overriding investment in research and insights, especially in the UK, <laughs> as I see it, but also like oh, how globally, globally, yeah, how uh, how much that's really been crushing customer experience innovation. So um, I think 
I'd like to kind of head us towards this direction around research and insight and creating customer understanding more of that, like understanding who the customer is and um, not just what they want, but why and understanding deeper needs and goals that enable us to come up with even greater offers and solutions. So you mentioned like kind of there's a quantitative bias towards these kind of satisfaction surveys telling us about what we already deliver how people are satisfied or not pointing us in the direction of maybe troubleshooting or improvement um but what is the flip side of this so thinking more around the qualitative insight perspective how do we use that to drive customer experience yeah so i think um this is when you know we, we talk about qualitative work to begin um, and that basically means just you're wanting to get a deeper understanding uh, of who customers are and, and qualitative tends to be, you know, you do it with a smaller number of, of customers and it tends to be very unstructured questions where it's more of sort of tell me about, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about your experience here, tell me what it is uh, you're trying to do. Um, and it's, it's a brilliant way to to be able to start exploring um, how people are really thinking and how they're feeling. And, and as you said before, the why is the all important, why are they do, doing something or um, uh, why are they trying to achieve what they want to achieve? Um, the only thing with that is always, you know, doing these sort of questionings, you're asking it, in, re in retrospect. So it's about, you know, sort of past behavior or asking customers to maybe rationalize why they did something or why they chose something. And, and one of the things we always know is that what someone says they do and what someone actually does uh, can be really different. Um, so another research methodology is ethnography. Um, so ethnography is all about in the moment, in situ. So observing someone and um, it's all observational so um, observing someone what they're doing in the place that they would be doing it so it might be with a customer in their home um talking to them about um you know actually sort of watching what they're doing in their daily life having a look around how their kitchen if you're an fmcg company trying to understand how they have their kitchen set up and, and what's there um and the benefit of talking to people in the moment is that you're getting that top of mind so it's not sort of post rationalized um and you know this is something that i think one of the reasons maybe traditionally it's not been done as much is that it is very time consuming and expensive because you know you you have to spend if you're doing it in person you're having to pay a researcher to spend a lot of time in someone's home or in someone's office with them observing them spending time with them um, so it's not something that you know sort of quick easy or cheap um, but one of the things that I've loved, and this has came through sort of my life in the insight community space, was getting to know about this incredible uh, number of technologies that are now available that give companies the opportunity to interact with people and do, you know, I guess what we call it sort of like mobile ethnography. It's one of my 
sort of favorite favorite research methodologies where you get to understand a customer uh, and you get to understand their life, but you're doing it through the power of using the mobile. So asking them to do things like upload photos and videos and maybe setting them tasks and being able to observe remotely, but in the moment of what they're actually doing. You just reminded me of a project that I worked on a few years back when I was working for um, a very big supermarket retailer and we did a big ethno study around our food strategy and one of the activities uh, we got to do as the CX team was take part in these um, ethno sessions in people's houses where they would be showing us what's in their cupboards, taking us into looking their into to look into their fridges, but actually they were like live narrating how they made shopping lists, and we were going to use that insight um, to help us think about what potential experience solutions we could have to help customers make lists digitally. And it was so fascinating. That's a few years back now, but um, yeah. yeah, like the the digital tools available to like keep diaries and do video diaries and. Um, not actually have a physical researcher present and on site in situ at the same time. Um, I think it's really game changing because it must reduce not only the cost significantly, but also um, make it probably easier for the research participants to to do stuff because they don't feel like they're having to tell somebody and explain what they're doing and how they're thinking. They're just kind of narrating their life. I think it's it's super interesting as well. It's kind of like social media, isn't it? Now we all have our stories. Yeah, it is and it's actually just like one big long instagram story for research <laughs> yeah and, and there's a sort of third aspect as well to this the, the mobile ethnography is that in a lot of the technologies um they have this wonderful sort of reporting back end where you know the content that gets posted up is is you know these dashboards that really bring to life who the customer is and i think um one of the benefits is around you know getting your internal stakeholders within a company who can all get involved with this information live you know historically research tended to you know you had the the research agencies who were doing the work and maybe the research team were working alongside them and then it wasn't till a reporting stage that the rest of the business were really getting to find out and um it just it doesn't have the same impact as when everyone in the business can be viewing what's happening live and they can be watching as people are posting these photos and videos. And, and I think one of the things I love about doing um, those sort of ethnography style ones is exactly what you just said with your experience, that you will have a bit of an aha moment because you're going in to observe one thing but so often you will notice something that just makes you go, oh, I hadn't even considered that as an aspect or we hadn't even thought about doing that. But, you know, actually watching a group of customers um, behave in a certain way that is, and it's always best when it's completely different from your own experiences in your own life because you're, it's widening your own personal view in terms of, how other people behave and, 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 you know, that's when I'm such a promoter of, of building that customer understanding and voice of customer into the business is to avoid biases in a business. When we, you know, when decision get, making gets held at a team, a person level or a team level, 
too often you'll miss out on a, 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 a section of your employee section of your customer group um, that might be needing something or wanting something because the way they behave or their motivations are so different from who your team are. Yeah. And last week you came and joined the Women in TX community for a masterclass, which was awesome, by the way. Um, and you were talking about how to get closer to customers on any budget. So um, so we've kind of talked about the digital tools. I'm assuming they're quite expensive. And earlier you mentioned customer communities. So if you could just give us like a, a kind of quick little run through from like free to the most expensive what should our listeners be kind of aware of that that exists out there yeah well I, I mean I think and one of the way I sort of wanted to structure the masterclass was around look what do you already have internally that you could be leveraging better um because I think that's one of the things that just isn't done enough of is is really sort of taking what already exists um, and analyzing it and spend time with it. Um, and the only thing that I think I, one of the things I wanted to stress with um, some of the internal data was, because I'd mentioned about looking at maybe complaints data um, or social media. Um, and my main point with those is we're not looking for the metric reports or the categorized reports that you might get, particularly say about complaints, brilliant for knowing sort of the reporting on metrics. But what you're looking for is wherever in your company you hold verbatim data from customers. So wherever they've given you their feedback in their words, so that could be calling the call center for an issue, it could be writing a post on Facebook, it could be um, just uh, and making an inquiry, whether that's through live chat or a call center, you know, going back to that original sort of verbatim content and analyzing it on that level um, can give you a real insight into, you know, how are customers feeling about certain issues? What is it about a certain complaint or a certain issue that's really driving um, emotion, positive or negative, um, and also using that as, as stories to help influence um, your stakeholders or management internally. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great to sort of maybe try and encourage people to, to really dig into to what already exists. Um, and then, yeah, then I sort of moved on to, I wanted to, to showcase how there is uh, this whole space of technology that is allowing us to do projects so it's still there's a cost to it um, but I would say it's sort of a mid-range cost and where the technology is allowing you to make your budget go further so some of the examples around um, the mobile ethnography you still have analysis cost um, you know you're still having to, to find the participants and sort of recruit the participants but the the process of actually getting those people to um, to upload the information and take part in the tasks and that sort of thing, you're not having to pay for someone to go and sit with them and, and spend time with them. So 
utilizing the technologies that exist to make your budget go further. And then sort of at the, the top end, I guess the highest end of the budget would be your sort of full-blown branded insight communities. Um, and, and they can be expensive and that's partly because, you know, the, the platform costs themselves are, are higher, um, but also because they're quite time intensive, you do need, you know, a dedicated person or depending on the size of them, a team to be looking after the insight community. But the value that you can get from them, I truly believe offsets the higher cost. Um, because, I mean, I worked with insight communities for about seven or eight years. Um, and, you know, some of the clients I worked with and, and how they embedded these communities into their business um, it, to the extent where, you know, I was in a, uh, I worked very closely with one team and was invited to, to some of the senior management meetings and would hear, um, you know, senior managers ask whether, well, has this been through um, the community yet? And, and, you know, this feeling that um, decision-making was truly built around an understanding of, how do this meet our customers' needs? Um, is this aligned with where we want to go as a business and where our customers need us to go? Um, and insight communities cover the full spectrum. So it means you can do quantitative work, you can do qualitative work, you can do ethnographic work. Um, it just allows you to build a, a, you know, a really comprehensive picture of who your customers are. So a big shift that we're seeing out there, especially like with SaaS and tech companies, is that they're actually creating customer communities as part of their overall proposition. So to help with um, customers helping each other solve problems, um, quite often, you know, asking them questions so they can research from it. What's the difference between having a customer community and an insight community? Is that something that the purpose is solely for insight? Yeah, I mean, this is where I think the market, it, I think it's already changing. Um, I have to say I'm, I'm not fully up to date on how some of the technologies are emerging because sort of when I was working on them, it, it was very much a separated thing. So an insight community was about research and it was about giving feedback on research. And it, you still wanted to integrate that with your internal data, say your sales data or, or anything else you already sort of know about the customer. But generally, you invited customers to come in on the basis of giving feedback. Um, I think there is starting to be more of a, a hybrid and emerge, and that makes complete sense because what we were finding when we were working as an insight community is that especially ones that exist for quite a while start to become a, a you will have sections of it that will become your um, sort of ambassadors um, company or brand ambassadors. That's not the case for all members. I know one of the arguments we always had was, well, surely everyone who joins an insight community is more likely to be positive towards the brand. Mm -hmm. That just wasn't the case. It did tend to be people who were more engaged generally, but the, the sort of positive and negative and the critiquing of the brand always existed, um, which was why they were they're so useful. Um, so I think, you know, for me, where the future is going with these is how to be leveraging insight communities to be more than just a tool that gives you feedback, um, but is also your sort of 
whether it's your ambassadors or, or whether it's a community, like you say, that starts to, to help each other and, and um, troubleshoot, depending on what kind of business you are. Yeah, um, and just reflecting on what you said about like the free end, a lot of the projects I did, I had zero research budget for, especially in the early days of trying to get customer experience established as a practice within an organization. Um, so just some like quick tips for me would be including and these are actual real examples of, of stuff that I'd done. So I'm um, going back to the contact center. And as you said, like reviewing complaint history. Um, one thing I found was like, all, the complaints had all been coded wrong. So what the business was looking at at a category level was actually incorrect. So you're right, you know, going back to that raw data and reviewing, I actually recoded 500 pieces of feedback <laughs> and it painted a very different picture than uh, than what the management were seeing. Um, yeah, but also then um, this piece of work was actually about cafes and supermarkets and um, then actually going and observing what people did. So being able to sit there for a whole day and literally watch where the problems occurred. So having seen from the, the data, then going and actually looking and seeing how it manifested. So watching things like queues and where they built up and understanding why you could actually observe a lot of that stuff. And then the next step being um, offering to buy the person you just observed doing something, a cup of tea, and just to tell you about it. <laughs> and it's, unsurprisingly, cafe customers are quite willing to, to, to share. And um, and that, that was not in the innovation space. It was much more in the kind of troubleshooting and problem solving space. But if we'd just been looking at the customer survey, like the voice of the customer survey program, or uh, even the data that was coming out of the contact center, we were not looking at the same picture as the, the reality and we wouldn't have thought there was a problem. And even more interesting was that we had a mystery shopper program and this was like the golden measure for like the whole business. Everyone was like kind of addicted to it. And it turned out they weren't even measuring the things that were really genuinely important to customers. So in that cafe example, they weren't even measuring like food quality and temperature of food and speed of the service and things like that. So it looked like if you just looked at the, the metrics picture, everything was fine. But <laughs> when you dig a little bit deeper using these free kind of approaches, you can you can find out actually... Um, there's a very different picture. Um, and then for me, even in primary research for innovation on a shoestring, um, you know, being able to do one-to-one -one interviews, I think for me has been like a really great free approach to um, understanding people's motivations and asking why. But in the um, interviews I, I did, especially when we did, when it was quite nebulous, even starting the community, it was just getting people to talk about what are the challenges they're experiencing, what are the goals that they're trying to achieve, what are the barriers that they experience in terms of getting in their way. So there's definitely a lot that can be done um, in the free end too. So Liz, like just to finish off then, what would you say like your top kind of piece of advice around uh, customer understanding would be for our listeners? What should we be focusing on? Um, so... Really, I think the first step for anyone is to when you look at your your look at your business, what do you truly know about your customers already? Um, and really critically assess around do we really understand who our customers are and who the different customer groups are? And not on a what's their satisfaction score, um, on a really sort of deeper level of what is it they're trying to achieve with us and why are they doing that? And when you find those gaps um, is about starting to build out a plan um, for how you fill those gaps. And, and hopefully it can be everything from 
finding that data internally, like you say, and looking at what's available internally, to then dedicating um, some, some budget towards research. I really do think that given the tools available now, um, your budget can go further and you can learn so much uh, that would be so valuable um, is to, to persuade your, your stakeholders internally that there is value in spending that little bit of budget to starting to get to grips with who your customers are and what it is that they really need. My, my tip about helping you to get that budget is um, on some projects I worked on, we had a big marketing department that was spending £20 million a year just on advertising and they had personas, but they were very much used for targeting marketing communications. So being able to do primary research to understand customers with greater depth and evolving a set of personas that could be used across the organization that weren't just kind of like a single dimension. How do we use them for, for targeting uh, marketing was one quick way to um, get some research budget approved because it was actually maximizing the opportunity around something marketing already did um, rather than it having to be something completely independent and having yeah. something that an output at the end of it that you know it's insight and re research insight for specific projects but having something evergreen like personas is another great way to to get your stakeholders to say yes to spending some yes. money as well <laughs> absolutely all right Liz well it's been amazing to chat to you today thank you so much for coming on the show thank you it's been a pleasure talking and thanks to everyone listening along at home we'll see you all next time bye for now thanks thanks for listening to the women in cx podcast with me claire musket if you enjoyed the show please drop us a like subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on and if you want to know more about joining the world's first online community for women in customer experience please check out womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to another wonderful community member, this time from Denmark, about how to create lasting change through your CX initiatives. See you all next time.